This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in it and be glad. May the blessings sung in Psalm 118 be yours this Sunday. This is the Lord's day, the day of resurrection that commences a new week and offers another graced moment in time to be drawn more deeply into the Paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. Through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, may each of us graciously respond to Jesus' invitation to live more deeply his redemptive passion, death, and glorious resurrection and ascension, and be drawn into loving communion with God our Father. You are listening to Encountering Jesus with the Church Fathers, a podcast pondering patristic commentary and insight on the sacred scriptures, the sacred liturgy, and living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Father Mark, and I welcome you to this podcast on the 18th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Guiding us this Sunday in opening the Word of God once again is the saintly Bishop of Nyssa, Gregory. I know we have heard much from St. Gregory over these past few weeks, and in the weeks and months to come, we will be tapping the wisdom of other church fathers and ancient Christian writers. Many ancient writers certainly incorporated insights from the book of Ecclesiastes in their works. Uh, Origen, along with Saints John Chrysostom, Augustine, and Ambrose, all mined the book of Ecclesiastes for wisdom in living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But when it comes to this book specifically, there are two ancient writers of note, St. Jerome in the West and St. Gregory of Nyssa in the East. Their writings on the book of Ecclesiastes influenced others in their use and commentary on Ecclesiastes. St. Gregory of Nyssa built on the allegorical approach of Origen in approaching this biblical text, and probably influenced writers such as Didymus the Blind and Evagrius of Pontus. In doing so, Gregory viewed the biblical books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs as expressing movement and growth in the spiritual life or, as St. Gregory termed it, the life of virtue. The book of Proverbs presents the necessity of purgation, which prepares for the more illuminative wisdom of the book of Ecclesiastes. In the opening section of his first homily on Ecclesiastes, Gregory states, The teaching of Proverbs is an exercise which trains our soul and makes them supple for the struggle with Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, in turn, prepares and forms one for the ascent to perfection as expressed in the Song of Songs. 
the noted spiritual theologian and peritus at the Second Vatican Council, Father Louis Boyer, noted, quote, The purpose of Proverbs is to teach, while that of Ecclesiastes is to preach. The philosophy of the Song of Songs transcends both by its loftier doctrine, unquote. Such an approach that Gregory takes in viewing the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs demonstrates one of the prime pastoral concerns of all the fathers of the church, growth in the spiritual life as a disciple of Jesus Christ, so that in the end, one may be blessed by the gift of salvation. One final note prior to listening to St. Gregory's words this Sunday concerns translation. The New American Bible Revised Edition uses the English word vanity in the opening verses of the proclamation from the book of Ecclesiastes. In translating St. Gregory's sermons on Ecclesiastes, the English word Futility is used. Hence, as we listen to St. Gregory's words, futility and vanity are interchangeable. And now, excerpts from St. Gregory of Nyssa's Sermons on Ecclesiastes. Futility of Futilities says the ecclesiastic, all things are futility. The insubstantial is deemed futile, that which has existence only in the utterance of the word. No substantial object is simultaneously indicated when the term is used, but it is a kind of idle and empty sound expressed by syllables in the form of a word, striking the ear at random without meaning, the sort of word people make up for a joke, but which means nothing. This, then, is one sort of futility. Another sense of futility is the pointlessness of things done earnestly to no purpose. Like the sandcastles children build, and the shooting arrows at stars, and chasing the winds, and racing against one's own shadow, and trying to step on its head, and anything else of the same kind, which we have done pointlessly. All these activities are included in the meaning of futility. It is often called futile in ordinary language when someone does everything with some purpose in view, energetically pursuing it as contributing to his object, but then, when some obstacle presents itself, the labor turns out to be useless. Then the expense of effort without achieving anything is denoted by the word futile.
Ordinary language says of such actions, my effort was futile, or my expectations were futile, or it was futile for me to go to all that trouble. And not to go into detail through all things to which to show the term futility can be properly applied, we shall briefly sum up the sense of the word. Futility is either a meaningless word or an unprofitable activity or an unrealized plan or unsuccessful effort or, in general, what serves no useful purpose at all. If, therefore, the idea of futile has now been understood by us, we must investigate what futility of futilities mean. The idea which is being examined might perhaps become more intelligible to us if at the same time we were to examine the scriptural usage on what things are thought of as superior. To do what is necessary and useful is termed work in scripture. But the more exalted endeavors concerned directly with the service of God is called work of works. As the story shows, the scripture, I think, by analogy, indicating to us by the work of works, which among our goals is most worthwhile. For the relation which active effort has to complete inaction is the same at that which activity directed towards the higher and more precious goals has to other works. Similarly, something is said to be holy in Scripture, and something else is holy of holies, suggesting that in the same degree that the holy is superior to the profane. The holy of holies is superior to the holy, being considered supreme in holiness. What therefore we have learned about superior value, since scriptural usage indicates by such an idiom the intensification of the, of the underlying thought, if we apply the lesson also to futility of futilities, we shall not go wrong. It means that the visible universe is not simply futile, but that such things are an extreme form of the meaning of futile. As if someone might say, deader than dead, or more lifeless than lifeless. Although comparative intensification does not allow such expressions, nevertheless, they are put in these terms to make absolutely clear what is being stated. So just as there are concepts of works of works and holy of holies, whereby the more exalted expression is used to indicate what is superior, 
So also, futility of futilities indicates the absolute extreme of what is futile. Let no one suppose that the words are an indictment of creation. For surely, the charge would also implicate him who has made all things. If the one who constructed all things from nothing were manifested to us as creator of things of this kind, if indeed all things were futility. But since man's nature is twofold, soul combining with body, the precise form of its existence has been allotted in an appropriate way to each of the elements observed in us. Life of the soul is one thing, and that of the body another. That of the body is mortal and subject to death, while that of the soul is impassable and not affected by death. And while the one has only the present as its prospect, the point of view of the other extends to eternity. Since therefore there is a great difference between the mortal and the immortal, between the temporal and the internal, the words of the ecclesiastic point to this truth, that one ought not to look to this life of the senses, which is compared with the true life, is unreal and insubstantial. One might nonetheless say that even this argument is not without reproach to the Creator, since he is the source both of the soul and the body, so that if fault is found with life in the flesh, and God is the Creator of of the flesh, the blame for this would necessarily lie with him. But surely, these will be the words of one who has not yet escaped from the flesh, nor truly glimpsed the higher life. For anyone trained in the divine mercies is surely aware that the life conformed to the divine nature is proper and natural to mankind, while the life of sense perception, lived through the activity of the senses, has been granted to that nature in order that the knowledge of the visible world might become a guide to the soul for the knowledge of things unseen, as wisdom says that by analogy from the greatness and beauty of his creatures, the originator of all things is perceived. Yet, human misjudgment did not see the one who is revered through the physical order, but revered what it actually saw. Since therefore the action of the senses is temporary and short-lived, what we learn through this sublime phrase is that he who looks to these things looks at nothing. But the one who is being guided 
through these things to the perception of that which is, and by means of the transient has perceived a stable reality and has comprehended that which remains forever the same, that person has seen the good that really is and has taken possession of what he has seen. For to know this good is to possess it. There is yet another of the things here which he says his soul has renounced. And in the text he makes it clear what he means. He takes issue with the offense against sound judgment when someone, seeing that the difference between the two contrasting lives is obvious, because one of them works hard for virtue and directs his desire to no human end, while the other, on the contrary, endures no hard work in the virtues, but devotes himself to bodily effort alone, when that person still gives his vote about the good to this life, disregarding the life superior in wisdom, then the ecclesiastic declares that this wrong judgment is not only futile, but also evil. He expresses it in these words. I myself turn to reject the thought of my heart. Besides the other toil, at which I toiled under the sun. Why is it I rejected? That there is a man, and that his toil is in wisdom, and in knowledge, and in courage. And there is another man who has spent no labor on such things. How then will anyone give his portion of esteem to someone like this? And a man, he says, to him who has not toiled in it, that is, to the one who has not yet toiled in the good, he will give him his portion. In other words, he will deem this kind of life to be something good. But this, he says, is futility and a great evil. How can it not be great evil when he knows the purpose and choice about his toils which reside in the man? This is what is meant when he says, For he knows, for man in all his toil, and in the choice of his heart, in which he toils under the sun. What is it that he knows? That all his days, he says, are his distraction of pains and passions, and in the night his heart does not rest. Certainly, for those who devote the soul to this distraction, life is painful. Pricking the soul with desires for more, like goads, and the pursuit of profit is agonizing, not enjoying the things it has so much as regretting those that are missing. For them, 
Work is allocated to both day and night, carried on successively through each term, with the day spent in toil and the night banishing sleep from the eyes. For thoughts of profit drive away sleep. How then can the one who observes these things fail to give his verdict against the futility of this quest? This is why he adds these words to his text, This also is futility. St. Gregory of Nyssa, pray for us. Let us pray. Draw near to your servants, O Lord, and answer their prayers with unceasing kindness, that for those who glory in you as their creator and guide, you may restore what you have created and keep safe what you have restored. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go in peace.